0: We've been looking at some Old Testament figures and we looked at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Um, This morning I want to look at Moses. Would you consider Moses to be a success or a failure? Which would it be? Numbers 20 verses 2 through 13. I think I'll start reading in verse 1 to kind of get a... A context, a running start. Exodus, I mean, sorry, Numbers uh, chapter 20, verse 1. The people of Israel and the whole congregation came into the wilderness of Zen in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam, who's Miriam? Moses' sister, that's right. Do you remember uh, when he was hidden in the bulrushes? She was there when Pharaoh's daughter found him and brought him up, and she said, i am be here, I'll, I will help raise him. So Miriam raised her younger brother Moses. Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and said, Would that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? Why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates. There is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, Take the rod and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother. And tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water, so you shall bring water out of the rock for them. So you shall give drink to the congregation and their cattle. Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we, underline we, shall we bring forth water from you, for you out from this rock? Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his rod twice and water came forth abundantly and the congregation drank and their cattle. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to sanctify me in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah. Meribah means contention or striving or argument. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel contended with the Lord, and he showed himself holy among them. For this reason, for this incident, Moses was precluded from leading the children of Israel, whom he had led for 38 years up to this point, a few more years before they get to the promised land. But when they get to the promised land, and Moses is standing in the land of Moab looking westward across the Jordan River into the Promised Land, Moses dies in Moab and is prevented by the Lord from leading the children of Israel into the Promised Land because of this incident. What does it reveal? And what can it tell us about success and failure in the Lord's eyes? Let's bow together. Father, as we come together, We are so obsessed with success in the world's eyes. Outward appearances, superficial and shallow though they be. We want to appear successful. We want power and money and influence and and all the trappings that the world values as success. And all the while you're trying to teach us that success from your perspective is something much deeper. It depends on your word and our obedience to it. So help us be successful in your eyes that last for eternity. And not in the world's eyes that last a few years. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, doesn't everybody want to be successful? Do you know anybody, any child that says, I want to grow up to be a failure one day? I want to grow up to fail. Do you remember those commercials that were on TV a few years ago and it was an anti-drug campaign? And as a child, it says, I want to grow up to be a drug addict. I want to grow up to be a meth dealer. You know, I want to grow up to be hooked on drugs. No, no child dreams, no child has aspirations of growing up to be a failure. We all want to be successful. We all want to have all the trappings of success. I had a friend come to me one day, sort of a friend, and he said, he said Wayne, you need an image consultant. And I said, what is an image consultant? What would he tell me? He said, he, an image consultant is someone that will help you appear successful. And If you want to be a successful preacher, you need an image consultant. Well, what would he tell me? Well, he would probably tell you you need a hand-tailored suit. He would tell you to get a handkerchief and put it in your pocket. He would tell you to wear French cuff shirts and have gold cuff links. He would tell you to have some hair additions (laughs) and comb it up and spray it. He may tell you to have some plastic surgery. Here, I said, stop. Stop right there. Because when he was talking about being a successful preacher, he said nothing about spiritual things. It was all superficial, it was all on the exterior, and that's what so many people are seeking these days. Well how does the Bible define success as it relates to Moses? Outwardly, let's take an account of what Moses has accomplished thus far. He has come and challenged the greatest, most powerful man in the world at that time, the Pharaoh of Egypt with 10 plagues. He was God's spokesman, and Moses led the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt, through the Red Sea, into the wilderness, And, and the Lord used Moses to provide for the children of Israel those 38 years thus far in the wilderness. He went to Mount Sinai and brought down the Ten Commandments. And it said, when he died at 120 years of age, His eyes were not dim. Eyes were not dim. That doesn't mean that he didn't need glasses. It just meant that his appearance was still pleasing. You remember Leah had eyes that were dim? Um, Leah and Rachel, the comparison between those two daughters of Laban. Dim eyes meant you weren't pleasing to look at. Moses still had a youthful vigor and appearance. His eyes were not dim, even at 120 years of age. Outwardly. A success. And yet something is happening inwardly in Moses that God sees and determines that Moses is not fit to take the children of Israel the next step through the the Jordan River and into the promised land to conquer it and claim it for his people. Inwardly a failure. What does this say? To me, it just says that all the good that Moses had accomplished, he's still human, he still had flaws. And failings and still made mistakes. Let's look for a few minutes at some of the challenges that Moses faced and overcame and see if that's what defines success. Moses had the challenge of the present. He had the challenge of leading the Israelites daily through the wilderness, headed toward the promised land. And you might think that these, you know, we think it might be a you know, you look at pictures, maybe a couple thousand. No, it's about a million and a half Israelites that are wandering through the wilderness, and they're not necessarily designated by tribes. They don't just get together in groups and companies and march together in lines and and stay in an organized fashion as they head toward the Promised Land. These These people are basically nomads. Moses had lived for 38 years with these Bedouins, these people who lived in tents. And every day they would collect their tents and he would try to herd them together and go in a certain direction that the Lord had provided for them. But they are basically in disarray and Moses is doing all he can to keep them together and moving in the same direction. Moses had to overcome the past, all the problems of the past. And here in verse 1, even the death of his sister Miriam, who was 10 years older than he. So if Moses is about a he's 120 when he dies so if this is a few years before then 118 Mo, Miriam's about 128 10 years older almost 130 when she dies and all the while Miriam has been in the background encouraging Moses helping raise him nurse him uh, as an, from an infant with Pharaoh's daughter in Pharaoh's court providing for him supporting him encouraging him and now she's dead And Moses has to overcome the emotional grief and and sadness that that causes. And then to compound problems, while Moses is trying to herd these children of Israel through the wilderness, are they going happily? (laughs) Are they going pleasantly? No. They are complaining and griping and whining every step of the way. Every step of the way. Moses and Aaron, we're out of water. Why didn't you leave us in Egypt? Why did you bring us out here to die? Verse 3 says they contended against Moses. Um, the King James Version says they chode with Moses. They just argued. They, they nipped it. The word means to like nip at the heels. They're just constantly berating. Moses and Aaron, and that had to take its toll after time. Why didn't you leave us in Egypt? Where's their memory? Don't they remember what Egypt was like? Don't they remember the slavery that they were subjected to in Egypt? And when they complained in Egypt, did Pharaoh say, oh, I'll take care? No, he just added to their burden of labor even more. You'll, if you've got time to complain, you've got time to make some more bricks out of mud. So here, here's your allotment for today. More bricks, lift those bricks, build these, these monuments in Egypt that have lasted thousands of years. The slavery of the children of Israel did that. 38 years Moses listened to that, and he's still at it. You may be familiar with this social registry called the Holmes Social Readjustment Rating Scale. Holmes Social Readjustment Rating Scale. What it does is it takes events in our lives and puts a grade on them. Troubling events, upsetting events that move us out of the norm, out of the ordinary, like a a death of a family member. A job change, a move, a separation or divorce, the death of someone in your family. And it gives grades to all those things. And 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 what you may be experiencing in regards to stress as reflected by that grade that you get from this readjustment scale. I put that scale on Moses' life, and he blew the top off the chart. Everything that was happening to him, the death leading the children of Israel, the complaining that he lived with daily, all those things were enough just to drive you out of your mind. This is what Moses was facing. So what does he do? They come and they complain, Why have you made us come up out of Egypt? We had it so good in Egypt. (laughs) Hardly. To bring us to this evil place. So what do Moses and Aaron do? Verse 6. Notice they don't argue with the people. They don't complain. They don't criticize the people. I found that when you're criticized, if you just try to argue, all you do is escalate the situation. And so Moses and Aaron did what they should have done. Went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Instead of arguing with the people, they go to the tabernacle and they fall on their faces at the door. They don't even deign to enter into the tabernacle, but at the doorway, they fall on their faces and they cry out to God and the Shekinah glory of God appeared to them and they heard a voice from the Lord. I've tried to relate this to today. It would be like things going badly here in church and I and the ministry team coming into the doorway of the sanctuary and just falling on our faces on the floor of the sanctuary and cry out to God. Not even having the the temerity to enter into the sanctuary, but just in the doorway. Fall on our faces and say, God, help us. We're trying to obey you. We're trying to be obedient here. We sense your will in this particular area, but we're having problems. And the glory of God appearing and showing himself and giving us a word, giving us instructions to know exactly what to do. And God said four things. He said, take your rod, that rod that has been with you from the beginning, that rod that you used to face down Pharaoh with the ten plagues, that rod that you used to place on the banks of the Red Sea when it parted and allowed us to cross through it, that rod that brought water down from heaven and, and manna from heaven and, and gave you a, a cloud to, to go by, sun, by day and a, and a pillar of fire by night. And you take that rod and you go and you gather the assembly and you speak to the rock and I will bring forth water from the rock. So it's very careful, listen to the instructions. Take your staff, take your rod, gather the assembly, speak to the rock, and it will pour forth water. What does Moses do? Not exactly what God instructs. And what we learn here is that success in God's eyes depends on being obedient to God's word as you hear it and understand it. Here's the danger of pride. Verse 10. Here now you rebels, shall we bring forth water from you out of this rock? And this is what Moses does. He takes his rod and he strikes the rock once. He strikes it twice and water comes out of the rock and there is enough water for the congregation and for their cattle. And God is displeased with Moses. Why? Because it wasn't according to God's command. God said, take your rod. He didn't say anything about striking the rock. He said, speak to the rock. He didn't say anything about speaking to the people. And then Moses says, must we bring forth water from the rock? What does that indicate? That indicates a spirit of pride that has begun to build in Moses' heart. Because Moses, let's let's be honest here, he's not the one who brings forth water from the rock, it's God. And Moses is robbing God of his glory. Moses says, must we bring forth water from this rock? Bam! Bam! He strikes a rock twice with his rod. That's not what God told Moses to do. He said, speak to the rock. Gather the people. Don't even use your rod and I will bring forth water from the rock. I've got to think that there's something going on in Moses' heart that indicates a seed of disobedience, a seed of pride. He has been leading the children of Israel for 38 years. God's been faithful. But some transition has begun to take place in Moses' heart and he's thinking, God can't do this without me. God needs me. And so I'm going to strike the rock, and I'm going to bring forth water from the rock. And Moses takes the focus off of God and places it on himself. And this whole event shows what Moses can do and not what God can do. Now, God could have kept water from flowing from the rock, but God is still going to take care of his people. And it just shows that oftentimes God, what's the word? He strikes a mighty lick with a crooked stick. He still works through fallible people, like preachers, (laughs) to accomplish his purpose. But he's not pleased with the process. Outwardly, Moses has all the trappings of success. Outwardly, there's this, this great miracle that takes place and water's coming out of a rock. But inwardly, God says, why did you not believe in me to sanctify me, to make me holy in the face of the people? Why did you not give me the credit, Moses, but you robbed me and kept it for yourself? Outwardly, successful, but an inward failure. In July the 17th, 1981, if you were alive, July 17, 1981, you remember the Hyatt Regency in Kansas City, Missouri. Because at 7.05 p.m., about 1,500 people gathered in the atrium of the Hyatt Regency in Kansas City for an afternoon tea, it was like a soiree. And they had about 1,500 people there and there were two skywalks in the atrium, one on the fourth floor connecting and one connecting the second floor. And when hundreds of people gathered on those skywalks, the the skywalk on the fourth floor began to shake, and it collapsed, and it hit the skywalk crossing the second floor, and it collapsed on the people who were in the atrium that day in the Hyatt Regency. 114 people were killed. 300 were injured. And when the engineers began inspecting the construction, they found that the rods that were supporting and suspending the skywalks could not even support their own weight, much less the weight of the skywalk crowded with people. Outwardly, every vestige of success, you looked at the skywalks, the architectural marvel, the genius of how they were designed, outwardly it was a construction um, success. But inwardly, it was flawed, and it collapsed. And that, in a way, is a parable of Moses' life. As successful as Moses was, as successful as he appeared on the outside, there were flaws on the inside that caused him to collapse. And so, verse 12 The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me, some translations say because you did not trust me to sanctify me in the eyes of the people, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Past tense, God has already given them the promised land. But Moses will not have the privilege of culminating the 40 years of wilderness wandering and bringing them in to the land of Canaan. Because you did not trust me, because you did not believe in me, to sanctify me in the eyes of the people, to give me the credit for this miracle, you will die in the land of Moab just before the children of Israel cross the Jordan and go into the promised land. And then there's pride, and and I believe pride, some seed of pride is at the root of almost every sin. Verse 12, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me, up to verse 10, here now you rebels, shall we bring forth water from you out of this rock? Shall we? Like Moses and Aaron are the ones responsible for bringing forth water from the rock. Now I know it sounds like a technicality. It sounds like just a minor detail that Moses didn't obey God to the letter. God said, Take your rod, gather the people, speak to the rock, I will bring forth water. Moses took his rod, gathered the people, spoke to the people, struck the rock with his rod, and took credit for the miracle. Shall we bring forth water from you out from this rock? This revealed a spirit of pride and distrust that had been brewing in Moses' life, and that God said, because of this, you will not lead the children of Israel, why? Because Moses might take credit for that. He might try to say, I'm gonna lead you into the promised land, and, and Aaron and I are going to help you conquer the people there and possess the land. God said, no, you'll stop in the land of Moab, and I'll raise up someone new who will give me the glory. What would be better? To look like a success outwardly, but inwardly know you're failing? Or to look like a failure outwardly, and inwardly know you're being obedient to God? We've got to fight culture here. Because culture tells us that outward success is what counts in this life. And yet I can't help but remember Jesus, who outwardly, dying on a cross on a hill called Calvary, looked like a failure, but inwardly knew he was being obedient. And his final words whispered to his father were, it is finished." He knew he had been faithful, even though outwardly it looked like the greatest failure of all time. It was, in reality, the greatest success of all time, because his death on the cross meant that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. So what does this lesson from Moses tell us? And I know I can't really distill the life of Moses down into 13 verses because Exodus through Deuteronomy is basically the life of Moses. But what do we learn? Moses reminds me that no matter how successful you have been in the past, no matter how obedient you may have been in the past, The question remains, how recently have you been obedient to God? Have you been faithful to Him in His last word to you? And here's something that I've come across. I've learned the hard way myself. If God's voice has become silent, my guess is it's because you have been disobedient to God somewhere in the past. And God can't work with you. He can't have fellowship with you. He can't move you to the next step until you go back and pick up where you have disobeyed Him in the past and made that right. Because why is God going to reveal to you something new if it's going to increase, only increase your disobedience? So listen to God and obey God in the small step that He has revealed to you. And when you do, then He'll reveal the next one and the next one and the next one one small step at a time we want giant leaps at a time we want to know god what's your will for me five years from now god says i'll tell you what i want today and you be obedient today and we'll take it one step at a time and i've also learned that when god tells us to do something it's not arbitrary and it's not capricious it's not because he's taken some whim and he says i want Wayne to do this, or I want Jim to do that, or Bill to do that, and just sit back and see how they respond. No. When God tells us to do something, He knows it is for our best. It's because He loves us, and He wants to protect us from harm, and He wants to provide us with blessing. And so we might not understand at the time when He asks us to do something, or tells us to do something, but when we obey, and we get a little further along, we can look back and say, oh, now I see. You are trying to protect me from this. You are helping me through that. So when we obey God, we receive the blessing, and when we don't, we receive the harm. So, we're getting ready to have an invitation here at church. When it comes to the invitation, is there something that God has commanded you to do? Do you need to profess your faith publicly? Do you need to to join a local church, a body of Christ? Do you need to come forward and pray at the altar and rededicate your life? If you need to do that, then that's the next step of obedience that you need to take. Don't ask God to reveal the next step until you've been obedient in this one. Wherever you are, He's with you. And He's whispering. He's calling He's exhorting. He is urging. And if you will obey, He'll be with you. Let's bow together. God, as we come this morning to consider Moses, what a, what a great life. You raised him up in the wilderness for about 80 years there. He, he learned and he grew. And then you took him back to Egypt, and you used him to confront Pharaoh and to lead the children of Israel out of bondage through the wilderness into the promised land, up to the promised land. But the flaw at the finish kept him from completing the task. And I can't help but wonder, God, if some of us are in his shoes We've been faithful. We have all the outer trappings of success. We have food and clothes and a roof over our head, and a lot of toys around us to play with. We come to church, and we give a little of our offering. But there's something more, there's something deeper that you're calling us toward, and we're ignoring it because we're afraid of what it might mean. We're afraid of the changes we might have to make or the demands it might place on our lives. And that's just a matter of distrust, isn't it? It's a matter of pride, thinking that we know better for ourselves than you do. And so, Lord, help us trust you. Help us believe. And help us lay our own pride aside and follow wherever you lead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.